Welcome to Faith Lutheran Church Online. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, so glad you've joined us. Hey, before we get into our Bible study today, I want to uh, share with you a couple housekeeping announcements. Uh, number one, in two weeks, uh, on Sunday, February 7th, we will be resuming our live uh, in-person worship services at Union Park on Sunday morning at 9.30. So you're welcome to come and uh, be a part of our live worship experience on Sunday mornings. Now, many of you have already told me, hey, I'm glad live worship is resuming. I'm not comfortable uh, returning to live worship yet. And that's okay. I also want to let you know uh, that we will be resuming our live streaming of our services. And so I want to encourage you to tune in, uh, uh, come to the Faith Lutheran website on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and tune in and join us as we worship together. Second housekeeping announcement is uh, next Sunday, uh, Sunday, uh, January 31st, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, there is going to be a constitution service in Decatur, Illinois. Uh, what that means is there is a congregation that's been, a group of people that's been meeting for the past several months, uh, really discerning if God is calling them to become a church. Uh, so next Sunday, uh, they're going to be putting a stake in the ground, uh, metaphorically, and saying, hey, we're, we believe God has called us to be a church. And it's very, very exciting. Uh, they've invited me to come preach, and uh, I want to invite you to come on down uh, to Decatur, uh, be a part of that worship service, because uh, we at Faith have been a supporter of this congregation. I think they're also going to be live streaming it as well, so hopefully you can tune into that. Either way, what you need to know as a congregation, a faith Lutheran congregation, is that we are about growing disciples of Jesus Christ and we are about planting churches. And that's one of the very tangible things that we're gonna be doing uh, next weekend. Um, and I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you have been so supportive and part of this journey of growing disciples and planting churches. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I wanna invite you to go to the Old Testament book of Exodus. We're gonna be in Exodus 40 uh, today. Um, and uh, over the past few weeks, uh, we've been in a sermon series called Long Story Short. Long Story Short. And, and the big idea of this uh, sermon series is that we're not digging deep into any particular story of the Bible, but we're looking at the overarching story of the Bible. Uh, the story from Genesis through Revelation. It's an, it's an overview uh, so that we can really understand the meta-narrative, the big idea about what's going on in God's story. When I was a kid, uh, I enjoyed doing dot-to-dot -dot games or puzzles, if you will. And if you've ever done a dot-to-dot -dot game or puzzle, you when you first look at it, there's just these random dots all over the place. And then little by little, if you follow the numbers uh, uh, according to the way you're supposed to do it, an image gradually appears and the more you connect the dots together in the right order, all of a sudden, at the very end, you're like, ah, oh, now I get it. That's a lot what this sermon series is like. We're trying to connect the dots to the story. 
Oftentimes we read different uh, biblical stories and, and they're good and they're interesting, but we don't always understand how all the dots, how all the stories connect with one another. And, and the, the problem with that is it leads to misunderstanding, it leads to misinterpretation, and frankly, we just get confused. And so for the past few weeks, we are connecting the dots uh, so that we can really understand God's story, which is the biblical story uh, from beginning until uh, the end. And more than anything, uh, it's not just understanding the story, but through the story, we understand the character of God. This is who God is. And so real quick, by review, our story began a couple weeks ago, and we looked at uh, God being a creator. In the beginning, God created, and throughout the rest of the Bible, this is what God continues to do. God continues to create and recreate, and God continues to create in our own lives today. And then the story picked up with God coming to uh, a guy and his wife by the name of Abraham and Sarah, and he offered them a promise. And Jeff shared with us and unpacked with us how God comes to us and offers promises. But God isn't just uh, someone who promises, uh, but he is actually a promise keeper. Uh, and throughout the rest of the Bible, we see these stories, uh, these ideas of, of God coming to his people and promising, and then promises fulfilled. Promise, promise fulfilled. So Abraham uh, and, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the, the promises just become, uh, they keep coming, but they also become uh, more and more fulfilled. Last week, uh, we looked at the story how God comes to us and says, I'm also a rescuer. And we looked at the story of the Israelites and how God used Moses to rescue the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. And again, we see the same theme, the same story, the same narrative, the same idea. God says, this is who I am. This is my essence. I rescue. And over and over and over, we see this idea of God rescuing. Uh, and so today we're going to pick up uh, the, the next major theme in God's story. And God comes and says, this is who I am. I am the God of covenant. I'm a creator. I'm a promise keeper. I'm a rescuer. And I am the God of covenant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing and remarkable story, which little by little, bit by bit, you reveal yourself to us. So God, as, as, as we continue through your holy word, we get a clear picture of who you are and whose we are in you. God, thank you for an opportunity to connect the dots today. Uh, lead us and guide us, open our hearts and our minds uh, to explore more about you and how you have developed a covenant relationship with us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, on June 19, uh, 1993, 
uh, I stood at the altar of Augustana Lutheran Church in South Minneapolis uh, with my bride, Cindy Kwanbeck. And I'm not going to lie, I was pretty nervous as I came down the aisle and stood at the altar wondering, uh, frankly, what was going to happen in this wedding ceremony, uh, but also what might happen over the next 27 years and counting of our marriage covenant. You remember your wedding day? Do you remember your covenant in which you promised to your bride, to your groom? Do you, maybe you're not married. Think about another wedding that you went to recently. Now, I've done probably 35, 40 weddings over the course of my years being a pastor. And I gotta say, I do think weddings are one of the most remarkable ceremonies still in our culture today. For us uh, uh, to kind of slow down a little bit, pause and do some reflection uh, before God and one another about this relationship uh, that we're about to enter into. It's pretty spectacular. And uh, if you've ever uh, been uh, to a wedding, I like to think uh, that people really enjoy the weddings that I officiate at because I I just think I'm going to just rip, they're just going to be riveted on the edge of their seat because of my sermon. I mean, I just wax on and I just kind of lay it on heavy and thick and try and really move with all that's going on in the day. And, And in my head, I'm thinking they are on the edge of their seat hanging on to every word of my sermon, just taking it, soaking it all in, storing it away for years down the road. But then every time as I'm finishing up my sermon, I say close in a prayer, we all say amen. I look up and then most of the people in the congregation start to wake up a little bit and uh, that's actually when they're truly engaged in the wedding ceremony. I'm under no illusions. I love uh, preaching at sermons, but I know probably nobody really hears what I have to say. But in that moment, It's really interesting to watch people's body language from my vantage point because people kind of start to lean forward. There's this anticipation that starts to grow and people are getting really excited about what's going to happen next. And you know what's going to happen next. It's going to be the exchange of the rings and the exchange of the wedding vows. And so then I put the couple, have them face to face and they look at one another and, and people in the congregation are thinking to themselves, I wonder if he's finally going to break down. He's so stoic. He never cries. Is he finally going to crack in this moment? And other people are thinking to themselves, you know, on a normal day, she is way over emotional. Is she just going to like melt into a puddle of tears? What's going to happen? I mean, the the, the, uh, the anticipation is so extraordinary in that moment. And then I look at the, uh, the best man and I ask for the rings and, and he does one of these things, you know, you know, looking around and, and then he's like, ah, and then he pulls them out and he hands them to me like, you know, hey, you know, never seen that one before. And I look at him and I'm like, ah, way to go. And, and we're all thinking to ourselves, that happens at every wedding, right? You know, and we just kind of move through the whole thing. But it's it's a ritual, right? And the best man, you got to keep doing that because it's just kind of part of the deal. 
But then after the exchange of the rings, I look at the bride and the groom and I invite them to speak their marriage covenant. What is a covenant? You know, it's interesting uh, that in our culture, American culture today, we use the word covenant and contract uh, largely interchangeably. Uh, but they're two very different ideas or concepts. Uh, let me give you the dictionary definition uh, to help kind of unpack this a little bit. A contract uh, is an agreement enforceable by law. A contract is very transactional. A covenant uh, is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. A covenant is very relational. A contract is a list of rules. A covenant is about a loving relationship. A contract emphasizes uh, the relationship of things, and a covenant emphasizes the relationship of people. A contract focuses on what I get, and a covenant focuses on what I'm giving. A contract is motivated by benefits, and a covenant is motivated by love. So back to the wedding uh, that you might be thinking about. Of course, the bride and the groom, they're not thinking about a contract. They are using covenant language. It's about a loving relationship. If they started using contractual language, that would be really weird. I promise to do the dishes on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Well, I promise to take out the garbage on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's weird, right? I mean, that is so crazy uh, that we, we just don't think in those terms uh, of a contract uh, in a marriage relationship. You know, but the same thing uh, could be true uh, in uh, when we sign a contract. Uh, I don't invite any of you uh, to come to my contract signing when I meet with my insurance agent to talk about all the details of my homeowners and my automobile insurance. My, my uh, insurance guy is going through all the lists. It's this. Uh, if this happens, then this happens. If this happens, it's this happens. I don't invite you to come to my contract signing because it's boring. It's details upon details upon details. It's very contract contractual. Uh, it, it's very uh, 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 lots of terms, lots of conditions. And frankly, in the end, uh, after he goes over all the terms and conditions, I write him a check. That's just how it works. There is nobody who goes to their insurance agency thinking about a covenant relationship. You don't go to your insurance agency and say to your insurance agent, hey, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you no matter what happens. Oh, I know my rates are going to go up and I know the terms, the, the payouts are going to go down, but I don't care. I'm committed to you. It's you and me, State Farm. It's you and me, Country Financial. That's weird. That's a covenant relationship. And so I give you a little bit of a, a silly illustration to really clarify the difference between a contract and a covenant. 
And so let me ask you the question, the A question. When I say the Ten Commandments, do you think of a contract, a list of do's and don'ts, or do you think of a covenant, a relationship grounded in love? Now be honest. Oftentimes, we think of the Ten Commandments as a list of rules, as a list of things that we have to do. But make no mistake about it, when God gave Moses and the Israelites the Ten Commandments, they were meant to be in a covenant and form the basis of a covenant relationship, a relationship based on love and commitment for the long term. And so just weeks after God rescues God's people out of Egypt, the Israelites, they are so excited. None of them had really tasted freedom. They had been slaves uh, for 400 years, and finally they're out in the wilderness. And they're just like, ah, we finally experienced freedom and rescue. Thank you, Moses. Tell God, thank you. <sighs> now what do we do, Moses? What's the plan? And Moses is like, good question. Hey, God, what's the plan now? What are we supposed to do out here in the wilderness? And God looks at Moses and said, Moses, I'm glad you asked. I've got a plan. Take off your shoes, climb up the mountain. You and me are going to have a one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to talk, and I'm going to give you the plan. And God explains to Moses the covenant relationship. And it begins with the Ten Commandments. This framework for the special relationship between God and God's people. It was an extraordinary moment in that time. Now you can find the list of the commandments in Exodus 20. I'm not going to go through them in detail today. You can also find them in Deuteronomy 5. Go ahead uh, and review them. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. But this morning, I'm going to hit on them just real briefly to remind us uh, what, they are, uh, what they are all about. Now, the first four commandments are all about living in healthy relationship with God. God says, I'm going to be your God. This is how this plan is, is going to work. As we live in this covenant relationship together, you will have no other gods before me. I'm number one. Don't make any images of me like all those other religions do. Just worship me as your God. Treat my name holy with respect and reverence. And so the first four commandments are all about relationship, the covenant relationship between us and God. And then the last five commandments are all about our relationship uh, with one another, living in healthy relationships with healthy boundaries. Honor your parents. Don't kill people. 
Don't engage in relationships outside of the marriage relationship. Don't lie to and about others. Don't be envious of others. And then there's that bridge commandment, commandment number five. You know it. Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And God says, I'm giving you that commandment because it's going to help you with all your human relationships and it's going to help you with your relationship with me. This is, this is the covenant. The, the, the covenant that God has given Moses and says, this is the plan. This is my plan uh, for all of us. God says, I'm giving you these, these, uh, these, uh, the, 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 the Decalogue uh, or the law, the Ten Commandments, so that you know that you and I, you, my people, the Israelites, we have a special relationship and it's based on love, and we're in this uh, for the long term together. You know, my kids were little. Um, uh, I had a simple rule. Uh, you probably did too. It was simply this. Nobody's allowed, kids are not allowed to cross the road with an, an adult not around. And I didn't have this law, uh, this, this rule for my kids uh, because I was a controlling parent. I didn't have this rule uh, for my kids uh, growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to, to not cross the street without an adult present because I wanted to ruin their fun. I had this rule for my kids simply because I love them. I love them. I wanted to protect them. I wanted to take care of them. And this is the very same thing it is with God. God has given us these rules, these laws, these commandments, not because he's trying to ruin our fun, and most certainly uh, because he's, he's not trying to just uh, be a controlling father. God knows stuff that you and I don't know. Just like as parents, we know stuff when our kids are little that they don't know. And it's our job as, as fathers and mothers to give them guidelines, to give them rules, to give them commandments, things they can and they cannot do, not to ruin their fun, not to mess things up in their lives, and not to be controlling, but simply because we love them. And this is what God has done for us through the Ten Commandments and His covenant, the law. He comes to us and says, I'm going to give you guidelines and rules for living, not because I'm controlling, not because I'm trying to ruin your fun, not because I'm trying to mess with you, but because I want the very best for you. I love you. And then God looks at us and says, there are things that I know that you don't know. And you know, anytime uh, my kids uh, disobeyed the rules of our house, there was discipline. There was a little pain involved. Uh, that's what discipline is, right? We correct our children so that they experience a little bit of pain so that they don't experience a greater pain later on. In the same way, this is why God disciplines us, his children, it's not because God is mad at us or wants to hurt us. It's because he wants the very best for us in the relationship uh, and with one another for the long term so that down the road um, uh, we're healthy in our relationships. 
And oftentimes we look at the Ten Commandments, God's law, uh, and we're like, you know what, God? I'm an adult. I think I get it. I think I know. I think I understand. This commandment seems a little bit silly to me. I'm not going to do it. And so we disobey God. We don't follow God's laws. We don't follow God's commandments. We don't follow God's instructions for living. And guess what? There is always consequences uh, for our disobedience to God. And sometimes the consequences don't happen for weeks, months, or even years down the road. And we're in a world of hurt. And in that world of hurt, we look to God, we cry out to God, and we say, God, I'm hurting. Don't you care about me? Don't you see me? Don't you love me? And God lovingly looks at us and said, you disobeyed me. And because you disobeyed me, there are consequences, and now you are bearing the consequences. And and oftentimes the consequence is is all sorts of different kind of pain in our lives. Other times, uh, one of the consequences for our disobedience uh, uh, in our relationship with God, again, we don't notice it weeks, months, maybe even years later. But what happens when we don't follow God's commandments, when we don't follow God's rules, God's law, we gradually drift apart in the relationship, the covenant relationship with God. And then again, weeks, months, maybe years down the road, we find ourselves in a place and a time, and we're all of a sudden like, whoa, I don't feel very close to you, God. You seem really far away. And you know what? I want to remind you, God's not the one who left the relationship. You did. There's always consequences to not following God in God's covenant relationship, his rules, his guidelines for living. And so this is what's going on uh, throughout the Bible. And right after God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the law, the Decalogue, the Israelites are like, this is awesome. We love this plan. We love that you are a God of relationship, that you are not a God of contract, that you are a God of relationship, and we're in this for the long haul. And like you and me, the Israelites had a love-hate relationship with the covenant, with God's law. Because when they followed it, when they were obedient, things went really well for God's people, the Israelites. But when they didn't obey, when they were disobedient, uh, things did not go well for God's people, the Israelites. And so they carried around uh, the Ten Commandments uh, for the next 40 years in the wilderness. And and they would uh, look at them, they would reread them, these two tablets of stone uh, inscribed the Ten Commandments. And they just loved them so much that they wanted to protect them. It was this loving relationship they had with God, and, and they were so far from perfect. In fact, most of the time they messed up, much like you and me. So they built uh, an ark, uh, which is basically a, a box made out of wood, and they put those stone tablets in there. Uh, 
And then as they traveled around in the wilderness with their tents and their their temporary uh, church building, which they called the tabernacle, um, they traveled everywhere uh, with the ark, uh, and inside the ark was the Ten Commandments. And they would stop, and they would tent for a couple days, a couple weeks. They would get out the stone tablets and say, Moses, read those instructions to us again so we can be reminded of our special love a deeply committed relationship to God. And, and that's what happened over and over for 40 years. Now I want to invite you, fast forward uh, to Exodus 40, um, uh, 20 chapters after God gave them uh, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Here we are, Exodus 40, beginning with verse 18. When Moses set up the tabernacle, that temporary church, Uh, He put the bases in place, erected the frames and inserted the crossbars and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark attached to the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. You feel a little bit uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark here? I know I am. Moses placed the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of the meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of the meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. They're having church. Do you hear this? Then he put up the curtain on the entrance of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting, and offered it on burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of the meeting or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God shows up. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. And this is the end of the book of Exodus. I mean, that's just how it happened is they brought the Ten Commandments everywhere they went in this big I don't know, it sounds a little bit elaborate, maybe ornate uh, worship structure they call the tabernacle. 
and they burnt incense and they um, uh, lit candles and they, they washed their hands and, and they worshiped God and, and God settled over them and, and they met God in that place and it was an extraordinary uh, uh, meeting of God and God's people in this covenant relationship. Now, I think there's one final piece uh, that I kind of want to close with here this morning to help us really understand uh, the Ten Commandments, the covenant relationship between God and God's people, this particular story uh, or part of the story that I just read, but also really understanding uh, the meta narrative, the bigger picture of who God is and his covenant relationship with his people. And the idea really comes back to the word covenant itself. Covenant is a Hebrew word. And it's, it's simply this, bara. And barat in the Hebrew language literally means to cut or to saw. And so if you were going to enter into a covenant relationship, you would cut a covenant. Sometimes in our English language vernacular, we look at one another and we say, hey, let's cut a deal. And we mean that metaphorically, right? It means let's enter into a relationship uh, with one another and let's look at the details of what that means. And this is kind of the same idea uh, that the Hebrews, the Israelites did when they used this word covenant. But they weren't using the word uh, covenant, bara, uh, metaphorical. They were using it very literal. And so whenever two people or two parties entered into a covenant relationship in the Hebrew culture uh, among Israelites, they would cut a covenant, not only metaphorically, but literally. And they would find an animal. Oftentimes it was a dove. Uh, sometimes it was a sheep. Uh, sometimes it was a cow or a bull. And they would slice, they would cut that animal uh, in half. And they would put one half of the animal over here, another half of the animal over there. And then those two people who were entering into this covenant relationship would literally walk in between the animal that had been cut apart. And as they walked through, they had this incredible imagery off to their left and off to their right. It was as if they were saying, we are so connected. We are so committed. We are so in on this relationship that if I break the relationship, I'm going to be cut in half like that animal. I am so serious about this relationship. May that happen to me if I don't fulfill it. See, that doesn't happen in a contract, right? I mean, can you imagine going down to a Verizon Wireless and they go through, you know, all the blah, 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 blah of your cellular mobile plan. And at the very end, just before you sign, it says, and if you don't fulfill your two-year agreement, we're going to cut you in half. I'm thinking you're not signing up for that agreement, right? That's a contract. And you might have some kind of fee that you have to pay, but a covenant, make no mistake about it, it is serious, it's for the long haul, and there are consequences for either party who does not fulfill the covenant. 
And as you read through your Bibles, especially through the Old Testament, time and time again, you're going to come across these different stories, these the details and the different stories of one day they were out at the tabernacle and they were uh, uh, offering sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God. And you're going to read about all sorts of blood and guts and sacrificing of animal. You ever wonder why that's in the Bible? It's because of the covenant relationship. When God came to them and said, guys, I'm serious. This isn't just a a contract. This isn't just a deal. This is a commitment. And if either one of us breaks this commitment, blood must be spilled. And so over and over throughout the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, recognized that they broke the covenant, that they failed in all Ten Commandments. And so they sacrificed animals as a way to say, God, we broke the covenant. We're sorry, and we know this is serious. And because we know this is serious, we are shedding the blood of all sorts of animals. And they would bring that blood in, those animals in, and they would lay them on the altar. And they would burn, and the fragrance would rise up to God. It was was a way for the language we use is, is atoning. Is meant to to, to bridge the gap in the broken relationship because the the relationship had been broken. So this is what they did over and over and over. They're burning animals. They're cutting them in half. They're cutting covenants and laying these animals on the altar. And over time, God looked down and said, that's a dilemma. Folks, you keep breaking the covenant relationship, and and, and I'm I'm glad that you're trying to uh, resolve this relationship and how seriously you take this this loving relationship between you and me, but you're you're shedding a lot of blood. I got another plan. I'm going to do something else. And this is the context to which God said, my plan is this. I'm going to send my son, my own son, whom I love more than anything into the world, to go live among my people, the Israelites. And after he explains who I am and who he is, I'm going to lay him on the altar and cut him open and shed his blood because there are sacrifices for sin. And God looked at his people and said, I'm gonna make the ultimate sacrifice. And so that's what God did. And this is why it was so important for Jesus to come into the world, to literally shed his blood because of the consequences for our sin. One day, as Jesus was with his disciples, he was preaching a sermon in Matthew 5. He says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And what Jesus is saying in that moment is, I have come to shed my blood, to be the sacrificial lamb, to lay on the altar, to be the intermediary, to be the bridge between you and God to restore the covenant relationship. And he looked at his disciples 
and said, do you believe that I am the intermediary? Do you believe that I am the lamb who's going to bridge the gap? And after the resurrection, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, we believe it. We've seen it with our eyes. We saw you sacrificed on the altar and you've come back to live. We believe. And then Jesus looked at his disciples and said, now go tell everybody. There's good news. The relationship has been restored. Blood sacrifices on the animal with, an, with animals no longer necessary. I've covered it. See, even though you broke the relationship with God through your sin, as all people have broken the relationship with God through their sin, Jesus has paid the price, the ultimate price. He shed his blood, bara, so that you and I could be in relationship with God. And so I ask you this morning the same question Jesus asked his disciples. Do you believe that Jesus shed his blood on the cross to restore that covenant relationship between you and God now and for all eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God uh, who is not far off, but that comes to us as you have come to your people time and time again throughout the story of the Bible, that you've created us, that you've spoken promises into our lives, God, that you continue to rescue us, but that you long for a deep covenant relationship, a relationship so profound and deep and connected that it goes on from now until all of eternity uh, through the foundation and love of who you are. And so God, we pray that as we continue to unpack uh, this story of the Ten Commandments, this story of uh, what does it mean to be your people, this story of you proclaiming uh, that you love us so much that you want to be in a special relationship with us, with all of your people, all of your creation, that we cannot help but just be overwhelmed with gratitude to receive that good news and to share that good news with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.